Hi everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Risk and Regulation Rundown. I'm Tessa Norman and I'm hosting today's episode to allow your regular host Andrew Strange to sit on the other side of the table as one of our expert guests. In today's episode we're talking about the future of insurance and wealth management firms, drawing on a range of recent regulatory and technology-based developments which are acting as catalysts for some significant market changes. I'm joined by Andrew, who, as well as hosting this podcast, is the director in our financial services regulatory insights team and focuses on the asset management sector. And Darshan Chandrana, who's a partner in the financial services sector and focuses on digital transformation. We are recording this episode remotely, um, so please note this might impact the sound quality. So, Andrew, why is now the right time to be talking about this topic? Can you talk us through um, some of the drivers of change that you're seeing in the market and in society more broadly? Yeah, thanks, Tessa. And it's great to be on this side of the table, actually, for once. Although, uh, please don't ask me any uh, difficult questions. That would be unfair. Um, so, I mean, I think there's a huge range of issues we're seeing here. And, and sort of independently, they're all quite distinct. But I think if you take them together, they kind of become greater than the, the sum of their implementation parts, as it were. And I think they can have quite profound impacts on business models. Um, what, one of the things I've always said is you know, when you're thinking about the retail sector on the whole, it kind of doesn't matter who flogs what to Mrs. Miggins, whether you're an insurer, an asset manager, a wealth manager, a private bank, a retail bank, kind of the rules are roughly the same when it comes down to it. And I think that we've seen over the last few years a bit of a blurring of boundaries between businesses, partly as a consequence of this. So if you take something like um, pensions, for example, you know, we've kind of moved over the, over the decades away from actuarial based DB schemes and unit linked DC schemes. And then you've got asset managers who've got segregated mandates and the role of the employer and the employee. But all of a sudden, that isn't one traditional firm just offering one particular service that there clearly is a coming together of firms in that space. The reason why I think it's really interesting to talk this through now, though, is that I'm seeing a number of factors sort of coming back to the fore. So we've had the pensions freedoms. Now, actually, what we're in the situation we're in now is that the Treasury Select Committee is beginning to do a review around how that's worked. You know, we've had auto enrollment for a while, but actually, for example, that now means there are people out there who have been auto enrolled, who have some savings or have some pension investments and need to work out what to do with it. You know, we had the RDR in, in 2012, um, but the reality is actually that's probably created or exacerbated the, the, the need for advice or certainly the access to advice in the market. Uh, and if you take that in the context of people who've been auto-enrolled needing advice, so a, a larger population of people with potentially smaller pots looking to get service in some way, that's making that more difficult too. And then obviously on top of that, we've got the wider public policy debate around social care and how that's funded and things like you know, green investing in the ESG world and so on. So there's a whole range of things that taken together actually, I think, kind of imply that maybe over the next couple of years, there's some big changes coming. And of course, there's also the adoption of tech, which I'll let Darsh talk about. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. That's really interesting to see sort of how some of those um, kind of former developments like the pensions freedoms that you mentioned and auto enrollment are now sort of developing and then they're combining with some of the newer um, market changes that we're seeing, such as green investing. Um, and how about regulation? How's that playing into this? Are there some um, relevant uh, regulatory initiatives which are impacting firms as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on with the regulators, uh, as we all know. I mean, I think if you take the the focus on the consumer by the FCA, I think that's really pivotal in this. So the focus on whether it's vulnerable customers, whether it's the consumer duty proposals that came out in early December and that focus on good outcomes, all of that, I think, is forcing firms to think about actually in this retail space, how do I ensure my customers or my end retail customers are getting a good outcome. 
I also think there's a there's a very obvious focus on value. So if I look to the asset management sector, we've obviously got value assessment and that's been around for a couple of years now. We've also seen that in some of the general insurance pricing practices work where there's a focus on value. But again, things like the consumer duty proposals also explicitly draw out that value point, which is broadly a proxy for cost on occasions uh, and sort of extrapolate that across all, all retail financial services. So that value point is really, really significant. And then I think about the wealth sector in particular, you know, the FCA published in September, October time, uh, it's a re review of the market. And at that point, it was talking about actually how does it limit the number of people with high risk investments? But equally, it was looking at some sort of social policy issues around how did it encourage more people who had, in their view, excess cash to begin to invest some of that money? So I think there are a range of regulatory initiatives that, that also interact with some of those social policy issues. For me, I think there are, there, are, there are two interesting possible approaches to this, though, and I'm not sure where we'll end up, but, uh, but, but that, that dichotomy is really interesting for the regulator and for firms as well. I think on one side, I could see a situation where um, the world says we need products to be more comparable, we need them to be simple, we need a greater access to advice. So it, it's almost uh, tweaking today's market to make it more accessible. Uh, and certainly, if you look at that wealth management piece from earlier this year, there was talk around something called straightforward products, which I think in my old age, I'm thinking sort of cat standard, stakeholder, basic advice, simplified advice, feels like we're sort of going full circle on some of these issues. But the other answer that I think is really interesting is whether actually kind of stuff goes the opposite way. So actually in a tech enabled world, actually we can continue to offer or even offer more sophisticated offerings, um, you know, perhaps based on workplace, which I think is really interesting as well. But actually the use of technology actually can help deliver better outcomes without us having to um, artificially dumb down products as it were. So I, it'd be interesting to see which kind of direction the regulators go in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and Dasha and Andrew mentioned technology there. Um, can you kind of talk to us about how we're seeing firms using technology at the moment to do things differently? Um, and I know you you do a lot of work in the banking space. So are there some interesting lessons or parallels that, that are relevant for insurance and wealth management? Firms? Yes, uh, thanks very much. That's really nice to be here as well. Um, so I think the, the, the elephant in the room that we've got to sort of just uh, embrace is the COVID acceleration. So since the lockdown happened, um, I think things like uh, wet signatures, um, the areas where regulators were a little bit um, sort of uh, holding back on fully embracing digital have changed quite, quite radically. Uh, one of the things that we have seen in the banking sector is let's just talk about private banking as well, because that's closer to the wealth management and closer to life and pension. Um, the daily touch points that your relationship manager had with you haven't stopped. They, they are still there but the way that they interact with you has radically changed. So the use of video is now commonplace, whereas before it wasn't. The use of uh, electronic signature, again, commonplace, whereas before it wasn't. And the regulators have changed um, changed their, their stance on quite a few of these things as well. But really the biggest change we've seen in technology is just the rapid acceleration of the adoption of new technology. So we've got lots of cloud providers out there who have moved uh, into the banking and into the financial services space uh, just overall with vertical products. And they've come up with um, quick ways to adopt and move workloads from older systems to newer systems, therefore sort of accelerating the whole digital adoption. Um, I'll talk more about that, I'm sure, in, in, in subsequent questions. But one thing I, I will say is um, the direct observation that we have is our clients are really embracing the technology, want to do something new, 
and they are much more customer centric, customer focused now than I've ever seen before in my career. So it's a, it's a great time to be a technologist in, in financial services just overall. And the, the, the sort of plethora of technology that's available is just unbelievable at the moment. Um, yeah, absolutely. Technology is moving really, really quickly at the moment, as you said, and COVID-19 has accelerated that. Um, so you've touched on cloud there, but can you kind of talk us through how, how that's impacting insurers and, and, um, and you know, in terms of those new developments around cloud and, and, and hyperscalers, what kind of changes are they affecting? So for hyperscalers is a lovely word, isn't it? So um, hyperscalers essentially are sort of cloud providers. Um, uh, I'm sure that there's a proper dictionary definition out there, but the hyperscalers that we work with or we tend to work with are the likes of Google, uh, Microsoft with their Azure platform and uh, Amazon Web Services. They have been sort of there or thereabouts in financial services for a number of years. Um, but just over the last sort of six months or so, what we've seen sort of 12 months, six, six months or so, is just the, the mass adoption of, uh, of these hyperscaling technologies for your workloads in, um, uh, in financial services across the board. Insurance companies aren't different from that, aren't immune from that sort of pace of change as well. We are seeing organizations move away from sort of static, old sort of data center type approaches where they owned all of their technology and owned all of their equipment to much more cloud-based technology therefore giving them that that pace of change it gives them that ability to do things and scale it gives them the ability to try things as well um, and it's bringing that entrepreneurial element back into the back into the industry that i see um, and and they are essentially moving much more to a tech orientated uh, setup than a traditional financial services organization yes they still have regulation and everything that comes with that but that 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 sort of class of entrepreneurship the the customer first element trying things seeing if they work all of that is coming back in and that's down to customer change that's down to us our, our, the consumers themselves changing the way that we want to interact with these organizations and it's also down to um, other organizations some of the neo banks for example coming in and really changing the landscape changing the way that people interact with that organization so those two factors along with uh, along with the, the cloud providers being much more um, sort of customer centric have really driven that change over the last sort of 12 months and much more accelerated than the last six and are you seeing differences in digital approach and adoption between um general insurance business and, and life insurance and, and as well i guess it, it's worth thinking about the difference between commercial and, and personal lines you know how does that impact the way that insurers are, are approaching this yeah, really good question there, because I think that there's an analogy here that we can take. So um, the general business, especially with the changes they've had, you know, things along the lines of not being able to offer uh, discounted pricing to new customers and so on, which we've had, uh, which we've had plenty of papers on. Um, they have to be much more customer centric because they're going to differentiate on service. Um, I'll come on to life and pensions in a second, but the analogy between retail banking and retail insurance, general insurance, can't be uh, can't be missed. The retail banks have one massive advantage though they have multiple touch, touch points every time something goes in and out of your accounts every time you, your paycheck goes in every time you make a payment for something that's a that's and they have an ability to actually reach out to you at that point they have the ability to interact with you at that point general insurance is a little bit different you may only have one touch point a year which is the renewal you may have a couple of touch points if there are any claims 
And you have to make sure that the experience that the customer has is absolutely spot on. So you don't have an attrition rate that's that's higher than, than acceptable. So customer service and the ability to understand your customer needs and wants is something that the insurers are now starting to really embrace. And, and the use of newer technology, portal-based technology, self-serve and so on, is being coupled with that, that deep insight and being relevant. So that's a big thing that I see in the general insurance space, and that's the analogy for retail banking. On life and pensions and, and sort of the wealth side of things, it's a little bit more akin to private banking. I've mentioned that a little bit, but the approach that we're seeing in life and pensions is a little bit more different. It is about sort of that deep insight, being relevant, uh, you know, sort of uh, helping you for your future. Uh, and sort of the messaging and the tone of that has, has changed with a few of the clients that I'm working with. And that seems to be paying off for them. They're, they're attracting new customers at a much cheaper rate than they were before. Um, it's all online as well. Um, customers are a lot more savvy about that now. They're, they're used to looking at that sort of information online. But then you do have that touch point where the relationship manager or the um, or the broker can actually reach out to you directly and have that conversation, but in context. And I think that's the big difference. It's not just a random conversation that they're now having. It's always in context and it's a meaningful conversation. And I think that's where technology has really, really changed um, the interactions between an insurer uh, and their customer base. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear about how that kind of focus on customer needs and customer service is already happening you know, through a combination of regulation and technology, because we know from the SEA's consumer duty proposals that, that that's where they want to get to. But it's interesting that we're already seeing that shift um, start to happen. Um, and so you, you talk quite a lot about insurance there. I mean, is there anything further to add in terms of um, asset and wealth management and, and, and any parallels with banking there? Yeah, so the asset and wealth managers, we're seeing wealth really going through a transformation at the moment. There's two things that are going on in wealth at the moment that I think are very, very exciting. The first one is um, the use of vertical clouds. So you, I've talked about the hyperscalers, and they're kind of generic. You could be a cement factory or you could be a bank. You could use the same cloud. What we're now starting to see is vertical offerings of these clouds. So where the process or the data model or the, uh, the customer service elements, the, the customer journeys have already been um, tweaked or specifically designed for your particular industry. And we're seeing a big rise in that wealth tech just generally within the fintech space. And they're partnering with the hyperscalers. So that's the other thing that we're seeing is these partners, these networks of organizations coming together to provide a great service for a potential uh, customer that they want to sell to. And the, the other factor is that we're seeing is that massive change in, in customer behavior as well. COVID has changed the way that we interact. You know, gone are the days when we we would go to a branch or go to a go to see a broker or a broker would come and see us and we'd spend a few hours or a few days and the broker would then have to plan his next journey or her next journey um, as they went on to see their, their next customer. The ability to engage in the moment, have a thought and do something about it straight away is here and now. And, and whilst COVID has been, um, uh, been a sort of real test for um, both insurers and banks, I think quite a lot of them have, have realized the actual benefits of customer engagement, actually that duty of care that they have to their customers in this time and have engaged new technologies to better interact and better serve um, potentially vulnerable customers or just customers who are um, not able to, to, to sort of interact in traditional ways anymore. Uh, I think that's really interesting, Darsh. And it, it's, as a, as a regulatory geek, 
a self-admittedly regulatory geek, um, it, it's been really interesting to see the difference that COVID's made just over the last couple of years in terms of the way people are thinking about tech, I think, certainly with my clients. You know, the, the view had been around, you know, we need to do X, we must use a tech solution for it, we need to do Y, is there something there, you know, should we think about a robo-advice model, through to something that's way more fluid, and it's actually, you know, who can we partner with, and actually, you know, the FCA is saying this around consumer duty, so actually, we just fundamentally need to, to think differently how we do that. And obviously, if we're thinking differently, the starting point is tech. So it's, it's beginning to feel very different over a really short period of time. No, I, I couldn't agree more. It's been it's been fantastic to see. And as a technologist, in, you, if you're a reg geek, I'm a tech geek, really. That's that's kind of I get excited about that sort of technology and to see it embraced and actually have the opportunity to work with the regulator as well and have them fundamentally move the needle. Um, so quickly, not just in this country, but actually I'm seeing this across the globe with, with the, some of the clients that we have that are global based. Um, it, it's really refreshing, but I think what's, what's more refreshing than anything is customers are finally getting their voices heard and, and the, the, the banks, the insurers, the asset managers and so on are able to move at pace now where they haven't uh, traditionally been able to do that in the past. Thanks both. Yeah, I think, as you say, we're definitely seeing that um, that pace of change increasing. Um, there was another um, market change that I wanted to, to cover, um, which was around the role of the employer and how that's changing. So, Andrew, that's something that you touched on briefly earlier. Do you want to expand a bit on kind of how you see that role becoming more significant? Yeah, thanks for coming back to that, Tessa. I mean, I think over time, my view on this has actually changed slightly. You know, if we go back 10 years or so, the reality is that I think we were all talking about the transfer of responsibility from employers to employees as we moved away from DB schemes. But actually, I've seen, I think I've seen that some of that responsibility move back. And also, I'm seeing the employer as quite an interesting access point to, to, um, to consumers. I mean, by definition, most of those people who are doing that saving probably will have an employer um, associated with them. I think that the part of the other thing that sits behind this is, you know, the market at the moment clearly uh, is really hot in terms of uh, recruitment. So actually also as an employee, I think it's quite an interesting selling point to have really good access to good pension provision or mortgage advice or um, other kind of medical services. Um, so I'm seeing more of that in terms of you know, what's our benefits package. I look at PwC's benefits package and we can buy a, a whole range of different uh, services and, uh, and things if we want to. But actually, can you take that a stage further? So where does, for example, GP services fit within this? You know, I have an annual medical at PwC. Um, is there wider GP services that employers could offer? And from an insurer's perspective, I think it becomes really interesting when you begin to think about some of the data implications of that. You know, if you actually you have access to some of the uh, medical data and some of the um, insurance type data and wider investment data for your clients, that, that, that becomes quite an interesting and potentially, I would say, more cost effective route to entry to, to help service some of this market. Yeah, absolutely. Darshan, is there, is there anything that you'd add to that? Just a, a couple of points. So. I, I absolutely believe that the ecosystem play is where we're going to see more and more. So the, the employer has a fantastic opportunity now to, to essentially be that one-stop shop for lots of different things, whether it's health, whether it's pension, whether it's um, sort of um, services or goods or whatever, that that's really where it's coming into. You can't ignore the security elements of this. You can't ignore the cyber elements of this and data sharing. So that's going to be a, a, a focus as well as these ecosystems grow. But I do honestly believe that, that what we've seen in open banking, where these ecosystem plays are now coming uh, more and more to the, to the fore, we'll start seeing that in insurance and in the workplace as well. One thing I would also potentially see is 
people do move. You know, we're, we're in the middle of the, the great resignation or the, uh, the great merry-go-round or whatever you want to call it. Um, so people are moving from one organization to another at the moment. Um, and the experiences that you have in your workplace will then dominate what you think of your new workplace. If you don't have a great workplace set up, um, you'll be vocal about that. So, so watch this space. I think, I think workplace facilities, workplace sort of uh, amenities will have to be stepped up right across the board. There are some fantastic examples out there. And as people do move around, you'll see a general uplift right across the board um, for multiple employers. So there's lots of food for thought there for firms in terms of what we talked about. As we go into next year, for anyone who's listening to this episode and who'd like to kind of embrace some of these changes when they come back after Christmas, what were some of the things that they can do to start putting this into practice and, and to ensure that their businesses are well positioned for the market changes that we've talked about? Andrew, I'll come to you first. Thanks, Tessa. Um, I think the, the first thing to do, I mean, obviously, the standard answer from a reg geek is engage with the regulator, um, clearly. But, you know, we've got you know an open consultation paper on the consumer duty, which is open till till February 2022. This is therefore very topical now. The, the, the previous consultation on this, I think, had something like 240, 260 different responses, which is a phenomenal number um, for regulatory engagement. So I think it shows the importance of this uh, and the need to be engaged. But actually, using that as a, um, a tool to get engagement within your firm from senior managers um, you know from people involved in strategy you know taking it all the way through to product manufacture and so on i think this is kind of the real catalyst that firms can use from a reg perspective to, to make some interesting changes thank you and darshan um, I, I think there are going to be lots of things to look out for in in 2022 and and beyond um, one of the areas that, that really is exciting is just the growth of the fintech uh, insurtech uh, space um, and the ability to bring these uh, different technologies together and interact with them. So whereas before it was really difficult, you might have chosen one or two products and you'd spend quite a lot of time trying to make them all work together. I think the interoperability between these um, these insure tech organizations will radically change the way that um, the insurers and, um, and general financial services organizations will um, put together solutions for their end customers. Um, but I, you know, the biggest change I hope for actually in 2022 is the ability to bring that that sort of passion and customer focus back into um, uh, back into organisations, create that sandbox, create that playpen for people to um, to to try new things, to experiment, um, to 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 sort of put together three or four pieces and see if they actually fit in a new and interesting way, and that level of sort of um, uh, sort of inquisitiveness and entrepreneurship will change the way that we interact with our uh, with our providers but actually it'll also um, give differentiation because you'll put things things together differently and that experimentation will give you that distinctiveness because we don't want everyone to be the same we do want that distinctiveness we do want the difference between one insurer and another um, and and being able to play with that technology in the right sort of way actually work with a regulator as well and, and bring new offerings and products to the market quickly Will be the will be the thing that I would love to see in 2022 and beyond. Great, a nice um, nice positive note to end on there. Well, thank you both so much for, um, to both of our guests. Um, I think it's been really interesting to hear about how um, a mixture of kind of regulatory developments, technology, innovation, and that kind of focus on, on customer centricity are coming together to, to, to really kind of um, impact the market. 
Um, and to our listeners, if you've enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the series. Um, it would be great if you could also rate and review the series as it helps other people to find us. And um, we hope you have a great Christmas break and we'll be back with our next episode in the new year. Bye.